to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. Okay, now shake it off a little bit. It's, I know it's 1030 and it's on a Tuesday, but just put a little more effort in it, man. Okay, let's go. I am so wondrously saved from sin. Jesus so sweetly abides within. There at the cross where he took me in. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. Oh, precious fountain that Amen. I am so glad I have entered in. There Jesus saves me and keeps me clean. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. Come to this fountain so rich and sweet. Cast thy poor soul at the Savior's feet. Plunge in today and be made complete. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to song let's go right across the page here that one right 48 Amen. I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love to me on the cruel cross he suffered from the curse to set me free. Sing, oh, sing of my Redeemer. With his blood he purchased me. On the cross, heaven, the Free. 
I will sing of my Redeemer and his heavenly love to me. He from death to life have brought me, Son of God, with him to be. Sing, oh, sing of my Redeemer with his blood he purchased me on the cross he sealed my pardon paid the debt and made me free oh amen 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 i need somebody to pray brother levi would you pray Bible. Amen. And uh, plus preaching, plus preaching, and uh, thank you for everybody here today. And uh, it's, a, it's a most wonderful blessing. Thanks in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Doctor Peacock, do you want to be down there or up here? I'll put this up here where they can see it. Maybe just set it here, if that's okay. Sure. All right. If you'd like to, we started off last night. Uh, good morning. Glad everybody's here. Thank you for coming. I'll do my best not to. Uh, bore you to death. I had uh, thought about what to talk about this morning, try to teach and those kind of things, and I had some stuff already put together, uh, quite a, a bit of it, about the local church and what to expect in a local church and those kind of things, but the local church is made up of people, and so if you want to help anybody, if you want to help the local church, then one of the things you have to consider doing is, is you have to consider helping individuals. Uh, the local church is only as strong as its weakest link. And so there are some things in your personal life that's going on, and it's not just because of COVID. It's something that's gone on from the very beginning of ages, and it has to do with going all the way back to the law of first mention, which you'll find in the book of Genesis. Now, everything that we do has to be based on truth. And when you talk about basing things on truth, ladies and gentlemen, you have to recognize it's not the circumstantial or situational truth. It's not situational ethics. It's not, well, there is one truth for certain situations and another truth for other situations because we know if we study what truth actually is, then it means that truth is uh, lying. Truth is never lying. But the world today gives you a false personification, a false personification in the sense of it literally personifies or makes a person out of what truth is. And the Bible says truth is something that's absolute. Jesus Christ is truth, right? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Why does he refer to himself as truth? He becomes the standard by which you measure all things. Now what's beginning to happen in the world you live in today is, is there's this situational ethic things and there's this idea that, well, it's okay under certain circumstances because of where you were raised, you were raised on this side of the track or that side of the track, that now the truth of something as simple as male and female. So I was addressing some young people the other day in a meeting that I was asked to do and I, I said this and I wasn't trying to be lewd or rude or crude or anything else, though you may find that hard to believe. I said to them and I said, if you want to know if you're male or female, there's an answer to that. You don't look between your ears. You look in the mirror. Now, again, I'm not trying to be lewd. I'm saying that's an absolute truth. You, you don't determine how what you are by how you feel because how you feel sometimes is you feel like blowing your brains out you don't always do it you probably have thought about it at times like you know you you have that fleeting moment of you know just be better if I wasn't even alive you know well you're in good company Job felt that way he said it'd been better if I'd have just died or if I'd have been cast out with the afterbirth Moses felt that way one time Elijah certainly felt that way so you have to recognize and understand we all have low point you can't go by your feelings if it's going to be decisions, you've got to look at truth. Now, truth is a hard thing to face. Sometimes when you look at truth, and sometimes you're thinking, well, why, what are we talking about this for? Because if we don't have the foundation, the other things I'm going to show you over the next couple of days, if you don't continually go back and say, what says the Bible, what says the Bible, what says the Bible, you're going to go back to what the devil says, Genesis 3, yea, hath God said, is that what he said when he said that to you, Eve? I don't, I mean, Eve, let's, I don't think that's really what he meant to say. And what he actually said is that in the day thou shalt eat thereof. He doesn't really mean day as in 24 hours. It's a long-term repercussion and 
It's spiritual death. Well, it's not really spiritual death. See the confusion? No, in the day thou shalt eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. Period. End of the story. Well, they didn't die. Well, well, wait a minute. See? There shows you how man thinks. They died spiritually. So which is more important to God? Spiritual or physical? The the answer to that is spiritual, just so you know. (laughs) You know how I know that? I know that Jesus is hanging on the cross and he has some of his half-brothers that are there. And he looks down there at his mother and he says to John, the apostle, not a brother, not a half-brother. He said, behold thy mother, and woman, behold thy son. Why does he turn the responsibility over to John? Because the Lord's emphasizing the spiritual over the physical. In Luke chapter number 9, the Lord says this. He said, Whoso loveth mother, father, sister, brother, husband, wife, uh, children, yea, his own life also, cannot be my disciple. So that's just in another passage that's parallel to that. He said, Whoso hateth not mother, brother, sister, husband, wife, children, yea, his own life also. He's not saying that you're supposed to show your hate like Cain did against Abel. He's saying that in comparison to me being first, what is that first commandment? Seek ye what? First, the kingdom of God, right? First commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Why? He's the foundation. So if I'm going to show you anything, it can't be my opinion. If I tell you what my opinion is, you can throw it in the trash can. I tell people on occasion, when I get the privilege of talking to people, I tell them on occasion, you come to talk to me or to whatever I give you is my opinion. The thing is, is that all it costs you is some time. It's free of charge. They'll sit in there sometimes for an hour, and I'm sure they walk out and they think to themselves, that guy's got Alzheimer's or half-timers or dementia or something. I mean, I never heard such foolishness in all my life. But I try to give them what the Bible says, so they have to reject me maybe, but they can't reject truth. Or can you? Well, that's what we're here to do over the next three days to find out whether or not you really want to face truth. You know the hardest truth to face in the Bible? You say, well, it's the doctrine of the deep. It's blood-sucking angels from out there on Jupiter. It's uh, all the weird things in the Bible, the, the, the gap theory, the people that were here before. By the way, it's a fact, not a theory. But at any rate, uh, the, you know, Satan was here before and then he fell and the underworld and hell and heaven and all that kind of stuff. No, that ain't the hardest truth at all. You know, the hardest truth for me and you to face in the day and age in which we live is not the junk you see on television when you get all the psychiatrists and psychologists and trying to tell you you are why you are so you get comfortable living how you're living because you have an excuse to live it. It's when the Holy Spirit comes in and puts His finger on your heart and He says, you're the problem. And we go back to the garden and say, no, she's the problem. And she goes and says, no, it's He's the problem. Right? Man blames the woman, the woman blames the devil. Most women blame other women. That's the truth of the matter. If there's a real problem in a marriage between somebody else, it won't ever be the man. The woman will say, well, the woman's the problem. That'll be what'll happen, generally speaking. But this isn't about that. This is about laying down a foundation. And the reason we start off with basics is, and this stuff for the majority of you, it'll be old hat. You've seen it a dozen times. It'll be what we call an eye roll in the ministry or when you're talking to people. It's kind of like, oh man, I've heard this about a dozen times. But we tend to let things slip. And what happens is, is that I, I was taught, I, I'm not a carpenter and all that other kind of stuff, but I do know how to use things that are relatively simple that can't hurt you too bad, a level. You say, well, that can't really hurt you too bad. You know, there's no moving point. Yeah, not unless the level's out of level. And then you're thinking that that level and that bubble's in the middle and you're looking and you're thinking, well, it sure looks crooked to me, but the level says it's level. And so then the next thing you know, the higher you get, the further off it is. Then you're finished when you've got the leaning tower of Pisa. And come to find out, the level got bumped and the little glass thing is off a little bit. And then the next thing you know, you're off a quarter inch at the floor and you're off the foot by the first story and you're off three feet by the second story. Do you understand? That's why we have to start here to make sure we're level. Now in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, we started there last night. If you'd like to start there, I'll see if I can do my best there to... To, uh, to talk to you. He said that you're supposed to uh, not get caught up in things, arguing, fussing, and fighting over questions and strivings and contentions about the law, if I remember that correctly. And then he said uh, something along the lines of where we were last night. What's he tell you? Look at 25. What's he say? In meekness. Instructing those that what? Oppose who? 
your greatest enemy is you. In meekness, instructing, that's what we're here to do today. In meekness, that's a teachable spirit. That is a humble spirit. Meekness is being willing to subject yourself to authority. Meekness is not weakness. The Bible says Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. You say, well, how is that even possible? Moses learned the lesson of I have to do what God tells me to do. That's why he says in meekness instructing. That means you being under authority and you're fixing to now give that authoritatively because you're doing that. So if I'm under his authority, I'm going to tell you what he says about it. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves who may, if God will grant them peradventure, Repentance. To what? They have to, well there it is. Acknowledging the what? Did you realize that you have to repent of your own, decide, your own decision about what truth is? Pilate's standing there before the Lord. Jesus is standing there or sitting there before the Lord and Jesus is standing there. He asked one of the dumbest questions you ever ask in all your life. If he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him, and in truth is standing right in front of him, you know what Pilate says? What is truth? You know what the Lord answers? It's like, hey, stupid, I'm standing right in front of you. That's what he does with truth sometimes. I'm right in your lap. I've already told you what the truth is. It's us that wind up confusing it or, or making it difficult sometimes, we think, because we make it contradictory. All right, let me show you just a couple of things here. Let me get my Bible here. Come to John chapter number 8. John chapter number 8. Now, the reason I show you this is for the purpose of what's called contrast. And contrast is used throughout the Bible. It's easier to see the shade of white if you compare it to black. It's easier to see how the tone of black is if you compare it to white. So what the Lord does is He uses in teaching, He uses contrast or comparisons. In Hosea, He uses words like like and as, as similitudes, as ideas, as types, as shadows, as figures. For instance, when the Lord's trying to teach something, He says something as simple as foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. Now, all you have to do is think for a second. Here's the creator of the universe. And what he just said to you is, is a fox has a place to call home. And a bird has a place to come home, call home. But if you're going to follow me, your home is out of this world. You don't have a home down here. You're a pilgrim. You're just passing through. And of course you know that in Luke 14. That boy says, well, I'll see you later because I can't, uh, I can't handle that. I'm out of here. But nonetheless, he uses contrast. So if I'm going to show you what truth is, you need to recognize that the devil doesn't have the ability to tell absolute truth. In the devil's lie, there will always be an element of falsehood in it. The most dangerous lie is 95% truth. But that little bit of corrosion will cause you to begin to take it and the longer you run with that truth, the next thing you know, you run off into a ditch because he's looking at the long term. John chapter number 8, verse number 44, You are of your father the devil. You've heard this before. The lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode, abode, abode not in what? In truth. Because there is no truth in him. Does anybody have one of those Bibles with the words of Jesus in red? You got one? Okay. What, is that in red? Okay, so then can we agree that that's Jesus talking? All right, so now all of a sudden you've got to flush the idea of, well, you know, the devil's telling me a truth and all that. The Bible says he abides not in truth. The Bible says there's no truth in him. And because there's no truth in him, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and he's the father of the lies. All right, that's in John chapter number 8, verse number 44. Come to chapter 14 in the book of John. John chapter 14, this is talking about when the Holy Spirit has come and so on and so forth. He comes as a comforter. I pray the Father, He shall give to us, number 16, you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of what? Who's He referring to? The Spirit of truth. Who is it? The Holy Spirit. Do you see the capitalization there? He's personifying it. 
He's personifying it and He's naming the Holy Spirit and He's telling you that right there. He's called the Spirit of Truth. The Holy Spirit doesn't lie to you. Now this is a little complex, but I want you to get this in your mind at the onset so that you'll understand that if your conscience gets seared, if your conscience gets cloudy, if your conscience gets dirty, if your conscience gets turned over to an evil or a wicked conscience, hiding behind that conscience will be a demonic entity that will try to convince you and talk to you through your imaginations and misdirect you, but he'll speak as if it's true. Everybody else does it. I mean, you're only human. God made you with those desires and those feelings. Listen, whatever you can't eliminate has to be controlled. God gave every one of you an appetite. Right? Or you'd die. You have a desire to eat, don't you? We all do, right? But if you don't control your appetite, if your appetite controls you, what happens? You swell up. Right? See, you get nervous. I start talking about weight. What's the matter? You can't, you know, what's that guy that used to say you can't handle the truth? You see, you're, you're, the reason I brought it up is on purpose because it shows you how sensitive you are. You go to the doctor and the doctor says, look, here's the problem. I can give you metformin. I can give you all these other things to help control your diabetes. But let me just say this. If you would lose some weight, how dare you? You saying I'm fat? I didn't say the word fat. You can't say fat anymore. You have to say uh, pleasantly plump or fluffy. You can't, the doctor can't tell you, listen, part of the problem is he won't say you're fat. He'll say it wouldn't hurt if you lose a few pounds, like a hundred. Right? Do you understand? So we say we want truth, but the fact of the matter is when it comes to applying that truth, and the truth is, is that the doctor says, look, I can give you medicine to keep you up here and plenty of insulin and you can keep living this way and let your hips and your knees wear out and let all the other kind of stuff and your joints begin to ache and hurt and pain and so on and so forth. But if you knock off a few pounds, you don't have to have the medicine. And now all we heard is, is he said, I'm fat. Or as we get older... He says, well, you're not as young as you used to be. Do you just call me old? (laughs) Well, uh, yeah. (laughs) And you're deteriorating. You're not quite as tall as you used to be. You're certainly not as strong as you used to be. The fact of the matter is, all it takes is a 100-pound sack of concrete for you to recognize something's gone wrong. You used to pick up a 100-pound sack of concrete, put one on one shoulder, one on the other shoulder, or roof and shingles, and put one bundle on one shoulder, one, and walk up a lot. No conveyor belt. Now you look at it and go, you got a cart or some kids around here to help me pick that up? You got a wheelbarrow to put it in? Well, what's the matter? You used to pick it up. Uh, something's gone wrong. Yeah, you're getting old. Amen. Do you see our, uh, our, our unwillingness to accept? The truth of the matter is we're deteriorating. But when we apply those truths in regular personal life, we tend to say we want truth, but not really, especially when it comes to personality disorders. I'm not talking psychiatry. I'm talking about bitterness and envy and strife and anger and wrath and malice. Those are all emotions. It's not smoking and drinking and cussing. It's not doing things with your peepers you shouldn't do. Everything I just gave you are inside you. That's the stuff that will drive you crazy. The Lord, of all the things He can say, He doesn't say adultery. When it springs up, it will wind up uh, thereby defiling many. It will defile some. There's no question about it. I mean, adultery is a bad deal. There's no doubt. I'm not condoning that at all. I'm not making it less. But of all the things He says that can create that kind of an internal problem for you, He uses bitterness. That's an emotion. So you have to consider when the Lord says to you that you're bitter, you're like, well, no, I'm not as bitter as I I got a good reason to feel the way I feel. You're bitter. That's not bitterness. It's truth. No, no. He's not dealing with how you feel about somebody else. He's dealing with why you feel the way you feel about somebody else. You with me so far? All right. Look, if you will, please, in John uh, chapter number uh, uh, 16. John chapter number 16. And look at verse number 13. Might help me get my notes here. I can't do this from memory anymore. I'm getting old. (laughs) John chapter number 16, and look all the way down there, if you will, please, uh, to verse number 13. 
There it is. All right, verse 12. I have many things to say, but... Are you with me? Are, are we in red again? Oh, okay. He says, I'd like to tell you some things, but yeah, you can't handle it. You know what he's fixing to tell them? He's always oh, fixing to tell them about the new gospel. He's fixing to tell them about... No, he's fixing to tell them about their own problems. You know what he says to them? You can't handle it. That's Jesus talking. But watch, verse 13. How be it when he... There it is again, the spirit of truth. Now listen... They won't listen to it from Jesus. Now he says, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he shall hear, he shall speak, and he will show you things to come. And he'll glorify me, and he shall receive of mine, and I'll show it unto you. Now he just said this. He said, listen, I have this truth to give you, but you can't bear it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give the truth of the Holy Spirit and he's going to put it. Now, if Jesus couldn't convey the truth, the problem you and I have is no different than the problem with the apostles. But if I'm going to grow up, I have to recognize I now don't have Jesus in front of me, but I have the Holy Spirit who is now able to convey truth to me. And the truth we're going to talk about, it's not going to be a deep Bible study where I'm going to show you some little, uh, uh, some little uh, nugget in there that nobody else has ever seen. Uh, to be a little bit comical, just to tell you how whacked out some people get sometimes, I was at a rather large meeting one time and everybody had made a, a big huge deal, played up that this guy was going to come in and then the morning message was going to be great and they're building the crowd, you've got to be here, he's got stuff nobody's ever seen before, even Dr. Ruckman's never come up with this before, it's the most amazing stuff you've ever seen, I've seen it, I've gotten a peek to it, you know, it's like he's seen into Canaan land or something and you've got to come and see this, uh, he's the only one that can teach it, I mean it's just an amazing truth and all that. So everybody comes the next day, look like they've had about 10 cups of Starbucks, and they're just, oh man, we just can't wait for this new truth and all that. You want me to give you the boil down the deal? He runs through a bunch of scriptures about the purity of the Lord and the impeccability of God and so on and so forth. And then he gets up there and he said, and so we now know because of that, the conclusion of our thesis is, is that when Jesus was here on the earth, he never had to relieve himself. You should laugh at that. My friend, who's now dead and gone, James Lentz, was sitting by me, and he wasn't really known for being uh, subtle in those days. And he's sitting in a chair between us, not because of COVID, but because we were close friends, but we didn't want to be that close. And he's sitting over here by me, and he says about the tone of my voice, he goes, Hey, P, ain't that some kind of doctrinal nugget, a non-pooping Jesus? He said, boy, that'll really help you in your everyday walk, won't it? And he said, I've had enough of this. And he walked out. Well, I couldn't let him walk out alone, so I just, you know, <laughs> walked out with him. You say, what is that? Some deep doctrinal nugget with no substance whatsoever trying to prove the, the purity of the Lord. Well, he was all man, wasn't he? Well, trust me when I tell you he went to the bathroom. The most ridiculous thing in the world, when you make God that much God when he's down here, you can't touch him. He made himself a man and learned obedience by the things he suffered. You don't realize when you start moving into that arena, then you know, well, when he's being whipped, he's really not feeling the whip mark because he's supernatural. And when his blood, his beard's being plucked, he's really not feeling that because he's supernatural. And when he's being hung on the cross and all that, all hogwash, man, he felt every bit of it as a man. Now the reason I tell you that is, is that some people in the name of truth, they give you some kind of deep something or another that doesn't help you at all. I believe in the doctrine of the deeps, but it ain't going to help you in your personal life. That's right, right. What I have to show you with the Lord's help will help you to do a self-evaluation, uh, uh, you looking at yourself to see where you are. John chapter number 17 now. You'll know what this one is right off the bat because we're talking about truth, right? What does he say there in John 17, 17? Something like sanctify? Is that what he says? Are we in red letters still? Okay, still in red letters. So this is Jesus talking. Would you say it's important when Jesus talks? I mean, you may think, you know, well, you know, who's talking? Who are they talking to? When they... Okay, this is Jesus talking. You know what he said? Sanctify them with truth. Thy word is 
truth. So we gave you the answers to the test. It's right in your lap. Right? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed thereunto. Right? Thy word. So the word is truth. So now the word rightly divided becomes our standard of measurement because Jesus isn't standing here. Now let me show you what the devil's ways are. And you'll all be familiar with this and then we'll get started into the little bit of the Bible study here. Look if you will in Genesis chapter number 3. Now I'm going to cover this really quickly. Now everybody here knows <clears throat> and the misconception that is taught is this. That because Satan had already fallen, Satan is the originator of sin. The first original sin was Satan, not Eve. You know that. Satan had already fallen and was already in the garden, right? But you can't blame Eve's sin on Satan because it was Eve that was tempted, drawn away of her own lust and enticed and then she began to debate, then she began to discuss and the next thing you know, down she comes and then leads other people to do it. You can't blame that on Satan. If she hadn't opened up the door, which we're going to talk about in a moment, here's what would have happened. She walked by the tree and said, the Lord said, don't do that. That's absolute truth. The Lord said, uh-uh. You, it's not your job to sit there and figure out why He told you not to. He said, don't mess with that tree. Pretty plain, right? Well, what got Eve in trouble? And by the way, many of you may not <clears throat> excuse me, know this. Eve did not fall down. She fell up. The temptation was for her to be like gods, knowing both good and evil. The position she was in, that's why one of the punishments was, is now your husband's going to have the rule over thee because you desired to be on the top. The Lord said, we're going to change that now, and now the husband's going to have the rule over thee. That's part of her punishment for that because of what she was doing. So let me just lead this up here in Genesis chapter number 3 because it is supposed in the passage. The Bible says in Genesis 3, I believe it will be verse number 1, Yea, hath God said, is that right? How come he walked up to her and asked that question if she wasn't standing there looking at the tree? What you find out is historically she had already been looking at the tree because she saw the tree was good for food, desired to make one wise, and then she partook of the tree, right? So that's what historically has taken place. And this isn't the first time she's looked at it, not in my opinion. She goes by and looks and walks and then goes by and looks. And then one day she's having a bad day or whatever it might be. And her and her husband had a fight that morning even though he was perfect and she was perfect. They live in a perfect environment. But for most women, nothing is ever perfect enough. I paused for effect there. <laughs> Everything's perfect, but she's not happy. She's not content. Do you ever read your Bible and just look up the contentment? Do you ever look at Paul, the apostle, who says the epitome of the, of the spiritual pinnacle is Paul's learned? I've learned in whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. You say what? She's envying something that God said to leave alone. She's desiring more than she currently has. You've got to be careful even with that ambition. And so why else is she looking at it if she's not happy? She wants more than what she has, Right? I'll get to Adam in a minute, ladies. But, but you've got to understand this. For all of us together as human beings, as Christians, I'm looking at things that I shouldn't be looking at. And the devil, after a while, sees me looking at it, sees me desiring it, sees me wanting it. And you know when he comes up? God tell you you couldn't have that? Well, why would God keep that from you? I mean, if he's a good God... Why would he not want you to be like the other gods? I mean, you've seen these gods walking around here in the garden and how wonderful and marvelous and outstanding they are. All these fallen angels around here, but they're not really fallen. They're just in a different suspended state of animation. And uh, it's really a wonderful thing. And, and, and talking to her like that, yea, hath God said. You know why? She's looking at something God said to leave alone. The absolute truth is, God said, in the day thou shalt eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. And Eve should have said, okay, that tree's off limit. You ever wonder why the tree's there? Yeah, I know. I hear what I hear this all the time. Every time I do a Q&A at some other church, you know what I'll hear? Well, why'd God put the tree in the garden? Wait a minute. You're trying to blame God for the sin? God put the tree in the garden to give you a choice. That's free will. If the tree wasn't there, you would have never had a choice. 
You have a choice to do what you want to do. That's the truth of the matter. You can't blame God for your sin. You can't blame the devil for your sin. All right, verse number one, questioning the word of God. Yea, hath God said, whenever I start questioning absolute truth, I don't care what it is, you're headed for trouble. God said it, that settles it. There used to be a bumper sticker years ago down where I'm from, and I don't know if they're up here or not, but it used to be a bumper sticker. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No, uh uh uh. God said it, that settles it. Whenever you inject you into the equation, you've now made yourself a God. You've now decided, uh, I've decided whether I think God is right or not. No, God said it, that settles it. Now, whether you go by it or not doesn't change the fact of the truth, it's absolute truth. All right, verse number one, if you're writing it down, uh, number one, the problem that you'll have is, is question the Word of God. You know what happens when you quit listening to God? If she'd have listened to God, do you think she'd have heard the devil? When you quit listening to God, you start listening to other voices. I have a whole message on that. You say, why? It's the basics. The reason some people have demonic influences in their life is because they start listening to somebody else because they quit listening to what God says. They get bored with it. They get tired of it. They get tired of the routine. They get tired of all that stuff. And so one of the things that happens is, is they stop listening to God. The second you do, the devil can put his foot in the door. And he say, they're not listening to you, so maybe they'll listen to me. And the next thing you know, the devil says, well, is that really what he meant? I mean, you know, that preacher is a little bit off and he can say some strange... He's kind of high and tight. He's a little bit too, too stringent. He's, he, he's, he's too tight. He needs to relax a little bit. I mean, this is not where we really live. That's, it can't be that straight. Thou shalt not, you know. Oh, well... You know, but the way I, I don't, I mean, how could he say that? I mean, in the world that we live in today, he said, don't. But when you stop listening to him, what you don't realize is, is you're not going to quit hearing voices. That was worth the price of admission. Number two, look at what, what she does in verse number three. She adds to the Word of God to make it fit what her agenda is. But of the fruit of the tree is in the midst of the garden. God hath said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Oh, wait a minute. She didn't just add. She also altered. She just changed it a little bit. In conversation the other day with some Bible students, and uh, they're trying to learn some things, and the question was asked, I believe, out of a, of a pure heart, and so on and so forth, and he had his ducks in a row, and there may have been a little bit of wanting everybody to know how much he knew about scholars and this and that and the other, and he quoted certain things in New King James and certain things in the ASV and certain things in the RSV and some, something in the ESV, I think was the English one, and then one other one I had never even heard about because I haven't looked at that stuff in quite some time, and he was going on, and I said, okay, I said, no offense, is there a question in there? He said, well, we see where these people have done so on and so forth. And I said, okay. And that's good information for you to know. But the majority of the people you're ministering to, none of that really makes a whole lot of difference to them. They're most likely King James already. And all you're doing is grinding on that. I said, but you might consider this. You have your own revision of the Bible. And he said, what do you mean? I said, by the way you live where you pick and choose the verses that are pleasing and appealing to you instead of dealing with the one God's dealing with you about. And so now all of a sudden you haven't changed the words on paper and your name is not in a list of scholars who've given you perversions, but you're a perversion walking around. I will admit he got a little quiet. But oftentimes what we do is, is we are so interested in what everybody else is doing wrong that we don't go, why am I so interested in what everybody else is doing wrong? Is it possible it is my hallowing mask that I wear to make people think I'm doing everything right? Whenever you're always looking at everybody else and what they're doing wrong, it is one of the first signs that said there's something wrong with you. You become very critical of other people because you refuse to look in the mirror and be critical of your own self. Number two, adding two. If you want to add number three, altering, you can do that, certainly. Number four, what does that lead to? It leads to just outright denying. The serpent said unto them, you shall not surely die. God said you will. But now I'm just denying what it says completely. 
I know people that were raised in a Bible-believing, King James-only, raised under the old preacher's teaching and preaching. Some of them have even been to school, and now they're everything from hyper-dispensationalist to completely backsitting and out altogether. They used to be the hold forth the King James Bible is the bastion of the faith and this is it, boy, absolute truth from cover to cover including the maps and they'd stand up and fiery preach those sermons on it and stuff like that and now they're wearing a golf shirt and, you know, short shorts to, in a pulpit and they got contemporary music and rock and roll stuff and smoke coming out of the platform started King James only. Now they're so messed up as a soup sandwich. You say, where does that come from, preacher? How does that happen? They deny what God says. There's no other reason for it. God said don't. They say, well, I don't think that's what he said. Okay, you're done. You just cooked your goose. You're going to wind up swinging from the end of the rope. All he has to do is just give you the rope, and eventually you'll wind up swinging from it. Number four, if you're taking notes here, then guess what happens? After you deny it, then in verse number six, the woman saw the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes and desired to make one wise, and she took the fruit thereof and did eat. So now that denial turns into disobedience. Well, good night, preacher. That's kind of, a, kind of a rough deal on the women there. Oh, well, she had to involve somebody else in what she did. That Bible is real specific on if you keep running around with the crowd that left, the crowd that, that ate the fruit, the crowd that did, you know what will happen? You'll wind up eating the fruit. You'll wind up doing just what you're thinking would never happen to you, but you keep running with that crowd, you know what will happen? You'll wind up having empathy for them and sympathy for them go into their church services and go into their special events and then go into this and then their kids hanging out together and go into sporting events together and hunt together and fish together and play ball together and the next thing you know, you didn't intend for it to be that way. You didn't intend for it to happen. Next thing you know, you know what happens? You're like, well, I mean, they're really nice people. And uh, is the Bible issue really that big of an issue? And I mean, but, but I mean, they seem to be better Christians than some of the Christians I know. Just take the fruit. And the next thing you know, they've given it to you and you die just like they die. And people that you and I both know that were in church and all that stuff, and they're out now and you couldn't find them with a flashlight. You say, how did it happen? Gradually, over time. Let me show you a couple of things about the devil now, if I could, please. These are things important. You say, why? They're called the law of first mention. When you see something show up in the Bible, it'll generally follow the same way. First mention, further mention, final mention. But generally speaking, when you see the law of first mention, if that happens at the beginning of the Bible, it'll happen all the way through. You know what happens? Everybody in that Bible that gets in trouble, they follow those steps right there. Every one of them. They wind up denying what God said. They wind up questioning it. They add to it. They deny it and they disobey it. James 4, or James, excuse me, James 1 is the commentary on that. Let no man say when he is tempted, he is tempted of God. God doesn't tempt a man to do evil. But man, when he is tempted, when he is drawn away of his own lust, right? You can't blame God for that. You say, what are you doing? When you're drawn away of your own lust, you're choosing to do what the devil says to do instead of what God says to do or your flesh says to do. Can I just say this to you, and I don't intend to get into this, or I don't think I will, we'll see, but uh, can I just say this to you about your flesh? It can become the habitation of demons, not your soul. <clears throat> real quick, look over in Acts chapter 5, real quick, Acts chapter 5. The Lord's having a conversation there in the Gospels with Peter. It's over on the left-hand side of my Bible there, left-hand column, kind of about the middle of the way. And he's having a conversation and Peter's saying, Lord, you're not going to do this, you're not going to do that, you can't go here, you can't go there, we're not going to do this and so on and so forth. You know what the Lord's response to him? He doesn't even argue with him. You know what he says? How many of you know? Get thee, you know the passage, it's what you tell your husband sometimes, get thee behind me who? Satan, Satan is in Peter. It's not Satan hiding behind Peter. He's in him. Did you know that your flesh can become the habitation of demons? You say, why? Your flesh likes dead things. I mean, demons like dead things. Your flesh is supposed to be dead, isn't it? Yeah. 
that devil-possessed man up there a gathering. And you know what he's doing? He's running around, he's cutting himself, and he's got supernatural strength and supernatural ability, and he slobbers, and he, he spits on himself, and everybody's afraid of him and scared to death of him and don't want to be around him until he's had his morning coffee and that kind of thing. And that passage, when you read down through there, you know what you see that devil-possessed man doing? He's cutting himself. You know why he's cutting himself? He's trying to get himself clean. You know what you have to understand if you're going to fight the devil? You can't fight him in your own strength. David comes out against Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter number 17. And when he comes out there, he said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. You say, why? You can't beat the devil in your own strength. Don't you act like the devil. The devil's sitting down when David comes and says, what am I, a dog? You send a shepherd boy out here to get me. He don't even have his helmet on. That Bible tells you in Ephesians chapter number 6 that you're supposed to have the helmet of salvation on you. You say, why? You need coverage. You need to think right. You need your thought process to be the right way. That old that guy's sitting there in the first couple of verses there that he's talking about him. He's taken his helmet off and he sat down. He is positive. He's sure. Has no question in his mind. I can beat David. There's no doubt. I will whip him, man, and eat him for breakfast. And that's how Christians are. I got it. I got it. I can handle it. I don't need church. I don't need a preacher. I don't need the Bible. I don't need prayer. I don't need the right kind of singing, the right kind of sermons, the right kind of scripture. I don't need to have sacrifice. I don't need all that stuff we talk. That's just a bunch of junk, preacher. Just to try to tell me I got to have the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. I don't need it. I got it. I got it. I don't even need my helmet. You better watch it. You say, why? The devil get in your thought process. Boy, if it don't run through that helmet of salvation and that filter's not clean, man, you'll start listening to the devil. You'll think, sure as the world, it's the Lord. How many people have said this to you? Well, the Lord told me. Well, which Lord is it? Is it the God of this world? Which Lord is it? You know what Lord is? That's the one that you're subject to. I don't believe in Lordship salvation. If Jesus isn't Lord of all, He isn't Lord at all, you know. Hogwash. He's your Savior no matter what. You never will be able to give Him everything, but you ought to be trying. Well, you know, well, God told me, a fellow came to my office several weeks ago, and he said, well, the Lord told me to do this and do that and so on and so forth and all. He said, what do you think? And I said, if the Lord told you, what, what, what difference does it make what I think? He said, the Lord, you said, the Lord told you. He goes, well, I, but I want, you don't need my opinion. The Lord told you. I'm not, uh, you want my permission? I'm not, uh-uh. The Lord told you to follow Him. What's the doubt for? You wanting to hang it on me telling you so that when it goes south, you can blame me for it? Uh-uh. I'm going to tell people if you mess up, you told me God told you. Have a nice day. You know, he said, well, some help you are. And I said, you didn't come for help. You came to, to confirm that it was God talking to you. I don't know if it was God talking to you or not. I don't know whether or not he reads the Bible and prays. I don't know if he fasts. I don't know anything. I don't know what struggles he got in his life. Here's some things about the devil. 1 Peter chapter number 5. You can write them down and look them up later if you want to. The Bible says he's a roaring lion. You know what he does? He walks about seeking whom he may devour. Amen. You know what's a strange thing right there in that passage? Turn to the passage and look what's surrounding the verses right in front of it and right behind it. And look where he plops down 1 Peter 5.8. One of you got it? It's in the King James Bible. It's in the New Testament. One of you got it? I don't care if it's a female. Chief, you got it? Yeah, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary is devil as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may be. Read me two verses above verse 8. Read, uh, read 6 humble, and 7. Humble yourself. Oh, wait, what? Wait, hold on, what? How'd you miss that? Isn't that verse 6? You know what it starts off with? Do what? Humble yourself. Why? Looks like the devil eats up people that are taken up with pride, sure. narcissism. I got it. I can handle it. I can beat it on my own. I ain't got no problem. I don't need nobody. That's, we say that the way, that's how we talk in the South. We don't use the right English. All right? Humble yourself. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in time. Casting all your cares oh. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> you mean the downtrodden and the depressed? Uh, you mean the people that are overly burdened with the cares of this world? 
the affairs of this world, the things that you're worried about, that's what cares are. You know what the seed of care and worry is? It's pride. You're worrying about things because you can't do anything about it. You're a control freak. And you're worrying about it. And you can't do nothing about it. The Lord said, let me have it. So you know what he's telling you? He's trying to tell you where the devil's going to get you. Look at that. Two verses, two things right off the bat. A lack of humility and being over-worried about something you can't. You know what he says? Uh, he said, be careful for nothing, but in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's Philippians 2. All right. Now, please continue. No, all right. Next verse. Read 9. Who resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that uh, the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So the exact same things that you've gone through, they've already been through. So I can learn from their historical way of how they did it. Amen. So now I have to recognize my pride can make me a target for the devil. It looks like in that passage to me that one of the ways that I can be careful about the devil not sorting me out and finding out. Here's how lions work. I'm sure you know this. I saw them in South Africa. Lions are, are literally a little bit lazy. What they do is they don't go after the head of the herd. They go after the straggler. They go after the weak. They go after the wounded. They go after the little ones. They go after the ones that can't keep up. So they scatter the herd for the purpose of finding out who's lagging behind. Remember when uh, Israel comes out of Egypt and uh, he kept telling them, you got to get them to catch up. You're going too fast. You got to get them to catch up. You got to get them to catch And they began to get stretched out. And over time, you know what began to happen? They began to lag behind. This is important for you to grab a hold of here. And the next thing you know, you know what that Bible says? And Amalek came from behind and got the stragglers. You say, why? They wouldn't keep up. So all they had to do was give it a little bit of time, and you know what they began to do? I don't need to go to church, and I don't read the Bible, and I don't need to pray, and I don't need to study, and I don't need all those other kind of things. I'm good. I got it. I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm proud. I, I realize that, you know, what the devil can do to those that are proud, but I'm just not as close as I used to be. And then the next thing you know, here comes that lion, and you're on the ground, and he's tearing you to shreds. And you know why? You wouldn't keep up with the crowd. You wanted everybody in the crowd to back up and get you. That's today's mentality. Keep backing up and picking them up. No, catch up with the column. Right? All right. That's 1 Peter chapter number 5. All right, look in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. Uh, we'll take a break here in about eight minutes. I was told to give you a break at uh, 1130. And if you want to do more after that, we will. And then we'll go... We'll pick it back up at 11.45 and quit at 12.30. Or if you want to quit at 11.30, we'll, we'll quit at 11.30. It's up to y'all. I, I, I got plenty to talk about, and I can talk all day. But uh, y'all don't find that hard to believe, I can tell. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. Everybody's familiar with the passage, but again, you've got to grab a hold of it. Doesn't he say something in there in that passage about whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that would believe? Isn't that what he said? His definitive statement is not blinding the men, minds of them that would believe. The definitive statement in the passage whom the God of this world. Yeah. So I better be careful where I'm getting truth from when it comes to science books and when it comes to modern philosophy. Beware of science falsely so called and beware of philosophy and those kind of things. I better be careful. You say, why? That's controlled by the God of this world. You better be careful to do the research to find out what's the real meaning and what's actually going on back in the background before you accept that and start spouting that off. Like, like this, if I can be so bold as to say this, and I'm not trying to, I promise you, I, I hope I'm not coming across as arrogant. How come a preacher would stand up and preach an entire message on the headlines in a newspaper? If God is the author of the King James Bible... Who's the author of the headlines? You have people going around right now making merchandise out of yanking stuff out of the headlines and trying to then line it up with the Bible and say, this is what the Bible said. This is the Bible coming in newsprint. No, that is, that's, that's a baloney. It ain't even good baloney. So, but it's entertaining. Then go watch entertainment tonight. Go watch television or something. There ain't no place for that in the pulpit. People need absolute truth. You say, why? Well, then who would be all the author of all of the stuff that's out there nowadays that's on modern social media and stuff? You think it would be the Lord? 
Would it maybe be the God of this world? Just a suggestion, you might want to check your sources. When you go to court, I had to go to court in a lot of relatively large cases. I mean, some pretty capital cases and things like that. Back in my day, they even nuked people when they uh, committed certain sex crimes and stuff like that. The penalty for it was death or life in prison. They've gotten real tolerant of that stuff nowadays, but it was a different time. But when you went to court, you, you got, I mean, you got grilled. And you couldn't just get up and say something. They'd jump up and holler, hearsay, hearsay, your honor, it's hearsay. We ask you to instruct the jury, that's hearsay, and disregard the statement. There's no evidence to support what they're saying. They just heard somebody said that maybe it might possibly be. Your honor, hearsay. You had to be able to cite chapter and verse for precedence in a case. And your attorney was supposed to stand up and say, Your Honor, the Supreme Court found in such and such a statute and such and such a thing. And when you charged them, you had to charge them, not because you said, This guy's a dirtbag. There's no charge for dirtbag. <laughs> this guy's a pervert. This guy's a There's no charge for that. You have to officially charge them. 741-043, Florida State statute or federal statute, art statute or whatever it might be. Well, oftentimes, you know what we do? They have preachers now. This is my crowd. I'm not talking about you. You probably don't do it. Preachers are so desperate for practical, up-to-date material, they read the headlines or they read the emails or they read all the stuff going on out there in, in uh, the news media and then they get up there and quote that. Hearsay! Hearsay! You got no facts for that just because it's printed in a newspaper? Some of you read the newspaper and you believe the newspaper over the Bible, but after all, it depends on what God you believe. All right, Ephesians chapter number 2, you know the passage says he's the principality of the powers of the air. Ephesians 3, he mentions principalities again. Ephesians chapter number 6, he says principalities, power, spiritual wickedness, rulers of darkness, and high places. There's a hierarchy. There's an authoritative hierarchy that's there. I should have put Ephesians 6 there. I'll put it down in a minute. 1 Peter chapter number 3 talks about the demonic power. Romans chapter number 8, that's the passage that said, Who shall separate us from the love of God? And shall angels and shall principalities and shall death and shall life and shall this and that and the other? Nothing is able to separate me. But he's indicating there's going to be some trouble. Daniel chapter number 7, he said that the devil's job in the last days is to wear out the saints, to just exhaust you. You have a battle on your hands. You have a fight on your hands. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2 and verse number 18 there, he talks about the devil hindering you or preventing you. And that thing's the same thing as in Galatians 5 and verse number 7. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you? Right. Well, yes, sometimes it's other people, but sometimes it's the devil using other people. And the next thing you know, you're trying to get close to God and you're tripping and falling all over the track and they're throwing all the old life up in front of you. They're throwing all the old temptations in front of you. They're throwing the difficulties. I'm not talking about a perfect life. There's nobody in here. I don't care how great everybody in here thinks you are. There is nobody in here that's perfect. Every one of us has enough fleas to know the dogs that we are even though nobody maybe knows about those things but you and God. And it may be good to keep it that way. Don't think I'm talking sinless perfection. I do pretty good when I'm asleep. But then I'm not doing anything either. So I'm asleep and so I may be dead at that moment to sin, but I'm also not alive unto God. I'm just out. I'm zombified. I'm, I, I'm not accountable. I'm not having to make any choices. I'm just asleep. And I say, well, you know, that's pretty good. But that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is active warfare. It is an active fight. And I don't know about you, but it is not just a daily fight. It oftentimes is a minute-by-minute minute fight. And then we were kind of like, well, yeah, yeah, God said. I mean, I kind of thought that it was supposed to be like sailing on a ship with the sails up and the rollers are hitting the beach and everything is... One. I put the sailing in there just for you. And... <laughs> And, and the waves are hitting the beach and the sun is just beginning to crest and the temperature is perfect. The humidity is just wonderful. And I'm laying out there and getting a suntan and everything, I'm just cruising in life and there's money in the bank and all that. That's eh, a misconception. God never told you to be that way until you get to eternity. Now, we're going to take a break here and y'all can decide collectively or congregationally if you want to. You can take a secret vote if you want. I'll step out and get a cup of coffee and you can decide what you want to do. But uh, don't have pity uh, on me and think that if I don't, that you're going to hurt my feelings. I want to help you. But I learned a long time ago, you cannot force feed people and you can't force feed Christians. And it's wrong for preachers to try. I am not going to be here to jam it down your throat. It won't do you any good. 
I don't care if it is the greatest steak you've ever had. If somebody's holding your jaw open and gritting their teeth and jamming it down your throat, you'll spit it out every time just because of what they went through to get it in you. That's the wrong approach. The right approach is, is if you're hungry, I'll do my best to satiate that appetite that you have. And if it's for the right things, I'll do my best to fill it up with the scripture. And I've got some things now that we've got the precedent laid out. Now that you clearly recognize the tools the Lord uses and where the foundation is and where we got to begin with things, I'll give you some stuff here in the next hour here, the next 45 minutes that might help you to begin to get on top of some of the struggles you have in your life. If you're a Christian, you struggle. I didn't say if you were saved. I said if you're a Christian. It's two different things. Amen. You can be saved and live in the world and not struggle at all. Yeah. Your conscience can get to such a condition where stuff don't even bother you anymore. You've, it's become normal. But if you're a Christian, you struggle. And I want to try to help you to, to win some of those struggles. Amen. Father, bless your word this morning. Thank you for these folks coming out. And I pray, Lord, you'll be with us. Uh, should you see fit in the next hour, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.